Getting a dog completely transformed his life. He was on about 13 different medications when he came here to us. He's down to two now. And he credits it all to getting a service dog and putting his relationship back together with his wife and their family and a totally different person. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is John Miller, president and CEO of the Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dogs. Under John's leadership, the nonprofits have seen an expansive growth in national recognition and public awareness. These have resulted in both an upsurge in demand for their services and significant revenue increases. During Miller's tenure, the organization has placed the most guide and service dogs with people with disabilities in their history. In addition, America's Vet Dogs became the home of Sully, service dog to the late president, George H.W. Bush. Selly now serves at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center as a member of the facility dog program. Well, Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with John Miller, the president and CEO of the Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dogs. Thanks for being here, John. Oh, excited to be here, Larry. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. Listen, I was looking over your work history, and it's included a great deal of work in the nonprofit space, which is something that's very important to me and our listeners. What drew you to this line of work? It's interesting. I started out my career you know, 10 years in local government and politics here on Long Island, and ultimately you had an opportunity to get recruited out of government to go become the COO of a nonprofit college up in Westchester in Manhattan, wow. Mercy College. And that was kind of my first foray from government to nonprofit. And having the experience there at Mercy and the you know, other experiences, it was really when I went to the food bank for New York City that I really caught the bug, so to speak, in the nonprofit space. I had the opportunity and the honor to work at the, the food bank for New York City you know, during the Great Recession. And you know, saw that if we didn't do a good job either raising money or delivering you know, food you know, to the five boroughs, people really weren't eating. And really, you know, had a major impact on me. And the rest of how I got to the Guide Dog Foundation, it's all kind of interconnected from that food bank experience. At the food bank, I had the opportunity to work with the Red Cross in New York City, great organization. And ultimately, they had an opening for CEO position here on Long Island. At the time, it was separated between Nassau and Suffolk. But we merged them after I you know, took the position to create a Long Island chapter. And I would have never had the opportunity to work for the food bank. Sure. And then ultimately, you know, the Red Cross. So I had the Great Recession with the Food Bank and the Red Cross at Hurricanes Irene and Sandy. Right. So if anything, we're battle tested yeah. for sure. And we're very busy during those times. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, great experiences all around. And then with a little bit of career planning, albeit I was very happy at the Red Cross and it was in their executive leadership group in for the pipeline into the national organizations. It was a program modeled off after the AT&T leadership executive training program. I knew for me, at least in my mind, I wanted my next step to be with a national organization. And Red Cross, certainly a national organization, but 
the very good and CEO that I was there with is still there today and doing a great job. So I had the opportunity, I was recruited to become the CEO and president of the Tourette Association of America. Great organization there, very misunderstood population, did a lot of good work, a lot of good people. And then fast forward and go take a step back to the food bank for a second. The group that I used to hire some of the executives at the food bank wound up with the search for the Guide Dog Foundation and America's Pet Dog. I haven't talked to them in probably you know, eight to 10 years. You know, they called me towards the end of the process. I, you know, I was not looking to move on from the Tourette Association. But when I got the opportunity to meet you know, some of the potential clients here, the board members, the staff, it was a pretty easy decision you know, to make the move. You know, we have two great organizations here. So from a career standpoint, went from one national organization to two. And very happy with all of the stops you know, that I've made and uh, had the opportunity to work with a lot of great people along the way. Yeah, and I think that the thing that you point out, which is very important, which we talk about often, is that interconnectivity between steps in your career, right? You want to build relationships. We've had some great guests on talking about relationship building. And I think this is a prime example of why you build relationships, keep them, nurture them, because you never know. It might lead to your next career move, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just it's just good practice to have good relationships no matter what you do. But certainly from a career standpoint, you never want to burn any bridges, right? Sure. That's number one. And having friends and having contacts all around can never hurt you. It, you got to be authentic with people and you know, answer the phone when they call. But uh, relationships are probably the most important things you know, that you can have. Absolutely. They definitely matter. So talking about the Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dog, what is your draw to this organization? There had to be something there that really pulled you in that you saw some meaningful work or some opportunity. What's your passion there? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So both my grandfathers were in World War II, the Battle of the Bulge. Well, thank you for their service. And one of them actually was blind in one of his eyes. And when I got the call to come here, just looking at my family history and just thinking how much they could have benefited if they knew of the services that were around. Neither one of them, you know, had a guide dog. I mean, they had pet dogs, but their lives could have had such a higher quality towards the end if they were aware of the services that are available. And having met some of the clients here, and certainly the staff. It's an infectious energy that the staff and clients have here. I mean, we really do transform lives. And unless you see it for yourself, you really can't appreciate it. And certainly I didn't until I saw it for myself. But once you see it, you'll never forget it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's meaningful work for sure. And you're helping a lot of great people. So I get it. It's very important work you're doing. Speaking about that, as far as the number of dogs and the impacts on lives, how many dogs get paired each year to a person, to an individual, whether it's a vet or somebody who's blind or sight impaired? It's somewhere between 120 to 140 a year. At any point in time, we have about 400 dogs in the pipeline that are various different stages, whether here as young puppies, out in our puppy raisers homes, and we know that you helped us out right. through COVID, so we appreciate what you and your family were doing for us. So it's about 140 a year, roughly. We had to stop a little bit for COVID, so we didn't quite hit that last fiscal year, but that's our goal, and you know, we're looking to expand upon that each year. Is there an ability with your current setup and situation to increase that significantly? Yeah, it's post-COVID, absolutely. Yeah, I think we operate in all 50 states, but we are following pretty closely, you know, the New York state rules and the quarantine list. So we don't bring anybody in or send anybody to, I think it's 33 states that are comprised on the list right now. We do have enough local interest that we're able to keep on moving, but it, you know, it'll be different as we go through COVID. 
But whenever post-COVID is, whenever that may be, we're ready to flip the switch and hopefully do more than that. It's funny because now that you're mentioning it, it didn't even dawn on me that that would be a potential issue, right? Bringing in people who need to be paired with the dogs from states on those quarantine lists. It's something that's impacted the business that, or the organization, I should say, that I personally never even crossed my mind that that would be an issue, but it's certainly understandable why it is. Yeah, no, it's real for us. Hopefully, you know, we stop adding to the list and start subtracting the states that are on the list. It'll make our lives easier. But we've been pretty nimble on how we've been able to work and you know, try to you know, focus on the states that we can work in and do some virtual work with the folks who are on the list waiting until they come off the list. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. How has that affected people as far as if they were close to being paired with a dog and then all of a sudden COVID hits and now they all of a sudden can't? Do you have to then shift and pivot that dog or try to shift to another person or how does that work? It's all of the above. We do pair the dogs specifically for individuals. So we try to hang on to those pairings as long as it makes sense. There have been cases where it just wasn't going to work out based on circumstances. So we have readjusted. But on a very high level, we're doing our best to keep that matching process very, very clear. Wow. Wow. I'm sure you have a lot of these great stories because you're doing such great work and these dogs and these animals do such great things for the people that they're paired with. Could you share maybe a story with us, maybe one that's really touching to you about what they experienced after getting a service dog? Oh, absolutely. So I'll give you two different ones. Very early in my tenure here, we had a veteran who came in from the Maryland area and had his dark blackout sunglasses on, very withdrawn. Even, I would say, venture to say somewhat standoffish with the staff and you know, the other folks who that were here to get their dogs. And fast forward about a year and a half later, I had the opportunity to meet the gentleman at a press event that we did in Washington. And I was somewhat apprehensive about doing the press event when I found out who it was because I wanted to make sure we weren't putting this gentleman in a position he didn't want to be in. And I got to see him. He did the press event with us and went to learn that getting a dog completely transformed his life. He was on about 13 different medications when he came here to us. He's down to two now. Wow. So, and he credits it all to getting a service dog and putting his relationship back together with his wife and their family and a totally different person. And I was so pleased to see how he has progressed so well. And very different temperament and personality than when he first came here you know, to get the dog. And you're very pleased that he doesn't have to take all those medications. Oh, I bet. Amazing. Amazing results for sure. Yeah. And the other type of story, which is more common when we have people here with us, but we do a big celebration at the end of the graduation, so to speak, when the class is over and we send everybody back into the world with their dogs. I have never had so many strangers, Larry, come up and give me a hug or a kiss to tell me what a difference this is going to make in their lives, whether it's putting the family unit back together, bringing somebody from the brink of suicide. We've heard the gamut of stories here, and the work that the dogs do is really life-changing. That's amazing. And I mean, do the people who are looking for the, you know, to be paired with the animals, do they have really an understanding of what the impact can be from the animals going into this? Or is it just a complete life-changing event that comes out of left field, so to speak, for them? Some do, some don't. Many come to us from people that we've placed with dogs. So they have kind of a personal reference to go by. But I think the impact in total doesn't hit them until you bring the dog home and you know, with them for a couple of weeks and the progress that's made on the home front. So it's a pleasant surprise for many, but the, you know, certainly many of them talk to our other clients and you know, know about the experience. Right. You're based in Long Island. 
at a Smithtown, New York. And are the people that you're pairing with, are they predominantly locals to the Long Island, New York area? Are they coming from all over the country? Where are those individuals coming from? It's all over the United States. For guide dog, it's also Canada and Mexico. Oh, wow. But America's vet dogs are solely for American veterans. Okay. This is our only physical plant here in Smithtown. But we have staff across the country and you know, they work remotely and work to place the dogs and then to provide what we call a free lifetime of aftercare. So we get everybody from across the country and we're happy to do it. We have a residential facility here in Smithtown where we could bring 14 to 16 people in at a time. We're not doing anywhere near those numbers right. you know, with COVID, obviously, but we have the capacity to do that. And so the campus in normal times is busy all year round. Wow. You alluded to it earlier. We got involved. We really enjoyed our time with being socializers, I guess, for a period of time when you guys were in need of extra people during the initial stages of the pandemic. And one of the things that we continually got from people were, how do you do this? How are you taking in these dogs? They're so great. And then giving them back. And our response to them was really, hey, you just have to keep the end in mind and think about who these and how these animals are going to impact other people's lives. And it makes it a little bit easier. I can't say that it makes it 100% easy, but at the same time, you kind of keep that end in mind and it's really helpful to know what kind of impact you're making. And it's even more so when I'm hearing it from you, the stories. It's for real. It is hard to give up the dogs. There's no question. But when you meet or you see the stories of the people that they're going to and the impact they're having on their lives, we have a tremendous amount of people who sign up to do it all over again. Yeah. And the dogs really do make a difference. And we can't do our work unless volunteers like you step up and you know, take the dogs in for a period of time to help socialize them and to help raise them because the demand is so great, we're not able to pay everybody to do something like that. So our volunteers really are the lifeblood of the organization. Yeah, so let's talk about that. It seems like there's a number, just from my cursory knowledge of how you guys operate and what's available, it seems like there are a lot of different ways that people could really step up, volunteer, and help you and help the process from the dog being born to getting it in the hands of that vet or that person in need of a dog. What are some of the ways that people can get involved? We have volunteers at all levels and a great need for them. So whether it's general office work, helping us fundraise, running you know, special events for us, everything we do is free of charge. And we give a free lifetime of aftercare as well. And so we got to raise a lot of money to do that. But on the program side, puppy raising is one of the most popular things and one of the things that we need the most from volunteers. And you can sign up to do that in a couple of week chunks you know, as a temporary person to do that. Or you could actually take the dog almost for a year and you know, work with us on puppy classes and you know, basic obedience. By the time the dog is ready to come in for training here, they already got a good base in what they're doing. So puppy raising, fundraising, those are probably the two most critical that we need volunteers for. But we have a role for everybody. That's great. Now, on the puppy raiser side, one of the things I learned is it seems like you have a connection with a number of different schools, and they've kind of really stepped up the plate in terms of helping you raise these dogs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. We have college programs all across the country. The two biggest ones are in uh, Maryland, University of Maryland, and the University of Georgia, Bulldogs, right? We have over 100 dogs in each of those campuses. Puppy Raising Club, right? We have a number of students who love to do it, and it seems to last. Big turnover there once students graduate, but it's becoming a time-honored tradition at this point. And we're looking here locally to connect with some of the colleges here to do the same on Long Island. But those college programs are critical to us and they do a great job. And actually, we have quite a few staff members who come to us 
who have gone to those colleges and raised puppies. So I don't know that any of them planned it to work out that way, but we have quite a number of people here from the Georgia and Maryland area. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I know I, it was a little uh, shocking, I guess, for lack of a better word to me, that you were shipping these dogs all the way down south to these programs. But after we saw them online and Instagram, watching them raise the dogs, it makes a lot of sense because it seems a lot of them have interests in the veterinary programs and things of that nature. So they're inclined to work with animals and it fills a void for you as far as your need to help find razors. It's like an instant match. Oh, absolutely. We're looking to grow there, not only with those programs, but we just started one in Auburn. And we're getting our feet wet in a couple of different locations, and hopefully we can grow them to scale you know, with the success we've seen out of Maryland and Georgia. That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked a little bit earlier about earlier in your career with other organizations through the 2008 and the hurricanes. I would imagine to some degree, economic conditions may have an impact on certainly your ability perhaps to fundraise, but in addition to that, do you see economic conditions having effects on other areas of the nonprofit? I'll speak to us and I'll speak to the sector. So when you look at you know, us in particular, you know, since March, we really haven't been able to have any of our fundraising events, right? Where we run events directly, you know, whether it's here in New York, Maryland, Georgia, California, wherever it may be, those revenue streams have basically dried up at this point. But we also have people like the college students and others who throw events for us all over the country. Those also have ended as well. So we've had to do quite a shift to virtual fundraising. We are fortunate to have a loyal donor base. So we've been leaning on our donors and communicating with our donors more than ever. But I do think for us in particular and for the sector in general, we're going to have to reinvent how we do some of these events and make up the revenue, whether that's major gifts fundraising or corporate programs, or you know, we do a lot with sports teams. And they've been hit hard too now too. So expect that the economy be a little rough for charities going forward, right. at least for the next year or so, certainly until there's vaccines. But it's also going to force us to optimize and learn from this opportunity because you could say the calendar was crowded with events here on Long Island to begin with from the charitable sector. So we're all going to have to get a little smarter about how we do it, too. Right. Do you foresee any effect from a standpoint of the need for dogs and does the economic impact that at all or raising them, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. The demand hasn't stopped. I can tell you that. You know, the demand continues. We had a slight dip right in the beginning of this in terms of applications for both organizations, but that's picked right back up. And I think as people are unfortunately losing their jobs or you're having other stress in their lives, they have offered to come volunteer or have demonstrated now a need that they weren't aware of. Right. Right. So we're going to do our best to continue to meet that need. But absolutely, we're not immune at all from the economic pressures that are out yeah, there. Yeah, we saw recently that you had that dog that, I guess it was the New York Islanders dog. I will go on record because everybody already knows I'm a big Ranger fan, but that's okay. We were very pleased. We saw the Islander dog being teamed up with somebody, which was quite inspiring. I think they ran a little special on MSG about that pairing, which was really cool. Yeah, no, it's great. So Anastasia is the young woman who received Radar. Radar right. was named by the Islander fans after Al Arbor. Radar was his nickname. And uh, we have a second dog there, Tori, who's named after Bill Tori, who was the, the GM, right, who built the, uh, the architect of the Stanley Cup teams. And, you know, this was kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime moment. You never know how these things are going to end when you start with them. And candidly, if we weren't in COVID, this pairing would have never happened because Anastasia would have been at the Paralympics in Tokyo right. during the time where he was ready, developed, to be placed. 
So if there's anything that could came out of COVID, it's you know, that we're able to get radar to Anastasia, who is a 16-year-old Paralympic athlete, a swimmer, who is on the swim team called the Islanders, right? right? And so we got the guide dog from the Islanders, the swim team's the Islanders, and she's just a powerhouse, force of nature, personality-wise, and her swimming ability. And we can go to vetdogs.org or, any of our, or guidedog.org or any of our social media, and you can see the story. It's really an inspirational story. He's had an immediate impact on her life and uh, has helped her become independent for the first time in a long time. That's awesome. And I guess that's why you do what you do for those stories and that impact. I want to offer you congratulations. I saw that you have won the HIA's 2020 Nonprofit of the Year. So congratulations for that. That's quite an honor. Oh, thank you. The organization, as I said earlier, we benefit from passionate supporters and from passionate staff. You know, I'm fortunate to be the front man, so to speak, on some of these things, but it's really telling stories like Anastasia and, you know, the trainer that helped train Radar and these life-changing moments that we have here every day. It's really something else. Thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. Well, John, listen, we always wrap up every show with the same question. We want to know what you did today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success. This is the Midland yep. Money Mindset. I gotcha. I gotcha. So two things, actually. So we actually successfully got both of my children off to school on the same day at the same time since this whole thing happened this morning. So that's on a personal note. On a business perspective and running our organization, today we had a meeting about where some of our future dogs are going. We have plenty of stories like Anastasia's, and not all of them are going to make headlines because they're not all associated you know, with a professional sports team. But I was very, very pleased to see we're going to have at least seven or eight dogs this week that really change people's lives and give them the independence they deserve. And that's what really gets me charged up here every day when we're able to make a difference and bring people closer to their family and get them going independently. That's awesome. Makes a lot of sense. So, John, before we go, if people want to learn more about the Guide Dog Foundation or America's Vet Dog, where do they go? So vetdogs.org or guidedog.org. And we have a robust social media presence. So you can find us all over Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We even TikTok now. So we're out there everywhere. And I encourage everybody to engage because you'll see some of these heartwarming moments. And you'll see some of our celebrity dogs that are out there like Sully H.W. Bush, Radar. We have actually Captain from the Capitals, too. It'll be interesting to see if Lundquist, by the way, goes to Washington. It will be. uh, Fan, right? But connect with us on social media or go to our websites. That's the best way to go. Yeah, I'll just forewarn everybody. Go there knowing that you might fall in love with a dog and want to sign up immediately to be a raiser. But I guarantee it's a lot of fun. You'll enjoy every minute of it. So thank you so much, John, for joining us. We appreciate your time and uh, make it a great day. Yes, you too. Glad to do it. Thanks, Larry. I want to thank John for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset Show. The Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dogs are two great organizations that have thrived under John's leadership and are doing fantastic work. I would highly recommend thinking about ways you might be able to help this great organization. To learn more, be sure to go to guidedog.org or vetdogs.org. And of course, you could check them out on all their social media platforms because they are everywhere. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please, don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. 
Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.